every uh, person started with. It's the year of 2020, the year of vision. And then when things started to pick up and uh, the trials and the circumstances in our country and then the sicknesses even in our own home, it was very easy for the believer, for you and I to have become passive, to have become comfortable, to slow down and, and, and just take it easy, to stand back and to stand by. But this evening, Paul's going to encourage us as we start a new year, that regardless of the circumstances in or around us and what we find ourselves in, we have an encouragement this evening to the believers, to us, to the church, in our pursuit of Christ. In our pursuit of Christ. And, and Paul writes to the believers at Philippi from a Roman prison, just to give you some context of what's taking place. So here's a guy in, in, in a Roman prison who's writing to a church to encourage them. So how are you going to encourage someone when you find yourself in prison? A Roman prison. But Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he writes to encourage them, and he takes and he thanks them for their financial uh, support, their financial help, because the church at Philippi had sent someone to go send money to Paul as he was in prison. And he writes to thank them, and he takes the opportunity as he writes to thank them to also encourage them regarding four different things. In chapter 1, he encourages them to suffer for Christ. In chapter 1, he will encourage them to suffer for Christ. In chapter 2, he encourages them to have the mind of Christ. To have the mind of Christ. In chapter 3, he encourages them to have the knowledge of Christ. Or to grow in the knowledge of Christ. And in chapter 4, he's going to encourage them to have the peace of Christ. To have the peace of Christ. And how timely and how needed are these reminders for me and you today in the church. We are to suffer for Christ. We are to have the mind of Christ. We are to grow in the knowledge of Christ. And we are to have the peace of Christ. In chapter 1, Paul makes them aware of his present circumstance in prison. And then he warns them. In verses 12 to 18, he says that his afflictions have turned out to promote the gospel. He says, guys, I find myself in prison. And I'm afflicted. And I'm in trials. But my afflictions have turned out to promote the gospel. In verses 19 to 26... He says that his afflictions exalt the Lord, Paul says. In Philippians 1.21, we have the famous verse, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul says. So in speaking about his afflictions, we see that to, for Paul, in the circumstance that he found himself in, in prison, he says, hey, my afflictions have turned out to exalt the Lord, my afflictions have turned out to promote the gospel, and for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then in verses 27 through 30 of chapter 1, he tells the Philippians that they also will partake of afflictions. And they also will share in Christ's sufferings. Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but to also suffer for His sake. And me and you, the church, man, how timely it is for us. And from the looks of things, how timely is this word going to continue in our hearts? And it will be for us in the months, in the weeks to come, in the years to come, if the Lord should tarry with the president, with the senate, and with the house that it looks like we're going to have. He says, it has 
uh, been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for his sake. And what Paul is saying that in light of their future afflictions, his exhortation in chapter 2 is that they have the mind of Christ. And in chapter 3, which we're going to read tonight, his exhortation is in their pursuit of Christ. Their pursuit of Christ. They are not simply to be content nor complacent in that they have salvation. If you look over in uh, chapter 3, verses 4, in verse 4, it says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, Paul says. If anyone else thinks he may have the confidence in the flesh, I more so. And then he gives his qualifications as to why he would have confidence, why he can boast. He says in verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I'm blameless, Paul says. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Verse 8, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the, of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And here's his exhortation for them. And here's his exhortation and encouragement to us. They are not simply to be content or complacent in that they have salvation. And think about this year. I, I mentioned on Sunday morning to the servants that some people earlier this year stopped coming to church for the obvious reason that the church shut down. We had to close our doors physically. Some, some people, once we open our doors, and I'm speaking about the church as a whole, not just this church here at Alive, when the church opened their doors, some people stopped coming because, of course, health conditions, and rightly so, to take precautionary measures. But some people, as of last year, sadly to say, will never return to the church again will never return to the church again. So here, because they were complacent, because their walk relied upon a Wednesday or a Sunday morning. And here, Paul, he warns the church at Philippi against self-confidence in the flesh. He says, if anyone could be self-confident, it's me. But he says there in verse 8 that he says, but I choose not to, that I may gain Christ. I, he says, I count all my accomplishments in the flesh. He says, as what? Rubbish, that I may gain Christ, he says. He warns them against self-confidence, and he encourages, he encourages them to grow in the knowledge of Christ and more earnestly pursue Him. More earnestly pursue Him. In light, church, of our present afflictions and of our future sufferings, Paul will encourage us this evening in our pursuit of Christ. In light of our present afflictions, look around at the present afflictions. More than likely, you have suffered this year, in one, way, in one way or another, personally, or in your family, or extensions of your family, in light of our present afflictions and our future sufferings, Paul says, he's going to encourage us in our pursuit of Christ. How should we live? In what conduct? In what manner? Because it's very easy, like Paul says in chapter 3, that so many people, and in the beginning of chapter 3, if you read it at home later today, he warns about these people who claim to have attained perfection because of legalistic uh, matters that they were following. And Paul says, don't be fooled. You have not attained perfection. Don't start to grow passive. 
Don't start to slow down. And he's going to encourage, he's going to encourage them and he's going to encourage us tonight in three different points. If you write notes, the first point, he's going to say press on. Press on to attain God's will for your life. Press on to attain God's will for your life. Secondly, he's going to say, church, reach forward for what God has for you ahead. Reach forward for what God has for you ahead. And lastly, he's going to say, eagerly wait for the coming of Christ. Eagerly wait for the coming of Christ. Now look at verse 12. It says here, not that I have already attained or I am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. If you notice the first point of tonight there in verse 12, but I press on. But I press on. If you, read, uh, if you go back to verse 9 and look what he says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And what does he say in verse 12? I have not already attained, nor am I already perfected, Paul says. Unlike the people who claim, unlike these legalistic people who claim to follow these rules, or unlike somebody who's complacent and satisfied in their salvation and passive in their salvation, Paul says, I have not already obtained. I don't think I have, and though I may have the qualifications I just mentioned a few minutes ago in the verses prior, I count those as rubbish. And because I have not obtained, he says, nor am I already perfected, there's only one alternative. There's only one focus. There's only one option for me now. And because me and you have not obtained, and because me and you have not achieved perfection, then we also, like Paul, only have one option and one alternative. He says, but I press on. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So we have not attained perfection and must continuously pursue righteousness. Because we have not attained perfection, we must continuously pursue righteousness. Paul, of all people, could have bragged about overcoming prison sufferings and could have claimed to have attained righteousness or arrived at near perfection. Instead, he rejects all possible ideas about him. There was no perfectness in Paul. He had not attained or was he already perfected. It's possible that these believers could have believed these things about Paul or could have even thought that Paul believed these things about himself because he had all the accomplishments, but Paul makes it clear he says, I count those things rubbish. I have not attained righteousness. I have, not, I have not attained perfection, right, or perfectness. And you think about today, many spiritual leaders today, they create the idea that they have already attained. They cultivate an image of a constant victorious life that gives the idea that they have already been perfected. That they have already attained that which Paul had not, righteousness. And so many of us, we put our eyes on these people, right, as opposed to putting our eyes on the Lord. And yes, we should have a godly example. We should have godly leadership. But no one has attained perfection. And some of us, right, some believers, we often make the mistake of viewing spiritual leaders in this way. Spurgeon says the following, 
while the work of Christ for us is perfect, and they were presumed to think of adding to it, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is not perfect. It is continually carried on from day to day and will need to be continued throughout our whole lives, Spurgeon says. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have not attained righteousness. We have not attained perfection. So the Holy Spirit's job in us is not done. His work in our life is not done. And it's continuous and it's day by day. And it will be that day until the coming of the Lord or until he takes us home. And like Paul, because me and you have not arrived, we must also press on. That's what he says there. Now, not that I have already attained or I am already perfected, but I press on. Ask yourself this evening, are you pressing on? Has last year given you a reason to press on or have you slowed down? He says, but I press on because I have not attained, because I'm not near perfection, because the Lord has not come back. He says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. That is our only option. Paul was not conformed with the fact that Christ had laid hold of him but he was, he was determined to press on to lay hold of that which Christ had laid hold of him for. Did you catch that? See, Paul wasn't conformed with the fact that, Paul, that Jesus had laid hold of him. And oftentimes that's us. Well, Christ has laid hold of me. I'm safe. I'm secure. I'm saved. Paul wasn't conformed in just that. He says, I must lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of me for. Is what he's saying there in verse 12. And what did God, why did he lay hold of Paul? Why did he lay hold of me and you? Christ had laid hold of Paul to make him a new man. Romans 6, 4, we were buried with him through baptism unto death that Christ, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Paul wanted to see the newness of life continuously carried out in his life. This is why Paul, or this is why the Lord, I'm sorry, has laid hold of me and you, that we should walk in newness of life. And Paul is saying, if this is why the Lord has laid hold of me, that I may walk in newness of life, then I am going to press on that I may lay hold of attaining the newness of life. I'm not going to be passive. I'm not going to be complacent. Right? And we're, talking, we're speaking of a man who's in prison, who's facing afflictions. Right? Christ had laid hold of Paul to make him a witness that was to spread the gospel around the world. Acts 9 verse 15, For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Paul wanted to lay hold of his calling to be an apostle sent from God to proclaim the gospel message. He says, I'm not comfortable with the fact that the Lord has laid hold of me but that which he has laid hold of me for, I am going to lay hold of. He's laid hold of me for newness of life. I'm going to attain. I'm going to press forward to reach after that. He has laid hold of me so that I may preach the gospel. I'm going to press on so that I may lay hold of that. Christ had laid hold of Paul to bring him to suffering. Acts 9 verse 16. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul wanted to lay hold of Jesus by even partaking in the fellowship of his sufferings. In the fellowship of his sufferings. Christ had laid hold of Paul to conform him to the image of himself. Romans 8.29 
for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Paul wanted to lay hold of the image and the nature of Jesus in his own life. He said, I must press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of me. Are we pressing on? And as we look forward into the new year, how are we looking forward to it? Are we pressing on or are we just taking it day by day? Passive. This is what Paul was telling the church here. Hey, in light of the present circumstance, in light of the present afflictions and the future sufferings. Now think about our church, our life today. In light of our present afflictions and our future sufferings, Paul says, press on, lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of you. You must press on and lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of you. The circumstances, the seasons, and conditions around us are not an excuse for passive Christianity or to be complacent in salvation, but never work towards attaining God's will for your life. There must be a continuous work of pressing on in your life, Paul says. The present afflictions, the sufferings, the circumstances around us, they're not an excuse for us to be complacent or passive, right? Paul says we have not already attained, nor are we already perfected, so the only alternative, the only option for us now as believers is that we must press on, lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of us for. Press on. And look, look what it says now in the next few verses. The second point of tonight is to reach forward. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or to have laid hold or to have obtained. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What does Paul say here? I must reach forward to those things which are ahead, having pressed on, because I have not attained, because I'm not at perfection, I must press on. Having pressed on, I must reach forward to lay hold of that which God has for me ahead. And how does he say that he must do that? He says, I do not count myself to have obtained it again. So one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Forget the things that are behind and reach forward to those things that are ahead. Should we this year? Isn't it very appropriate that we forget those things which are behind in last year in order for us to reach forward to those things which God has ahead? That very same verse, uh, verse 13 in the NIV reads it this way. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, not five things, not ten one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead. You know what straining means? To labor, to toil, to make every effort, to overextend, to overreach, to overwork. As I read the definition of this, I had to ask myself, I have to ask myself in my personal life, am I over? Reaching? Am I overworking? Am I, am I overextending? Am I making every effort? Am I toiling? Am I laboring in my Christian walk? He says, I have to strain forward. 
One thing I do, Paul says, because Paul had not yet attained perfection or resurrection from the dead, he had made up his mind to have one focus. He says, I'm going to strain forward. I'm going to reach forward. He was to forget about the accomplishments of the flesh and the past and the present sufferings and those that were to come and those that, that are to come in our life, in our country, in the months and weeks to come, in the years to come, should the Lord tarry. But he says he could not reach forward to attain without first forgetting anything that would make himself confident and complacent. See, why would you reach forward to lay hold of that which you think you have already attained? We must first forget any practice or doing that makes us confident enough not to reach forward. We must forget that which makes us passive and complacent in order that we, are, in order that we can reach forward. And what are we to reach forward for? It says in verse 14, I press toward. Look at these adjectives. I press on or these verbs. I press on. I reach forward. And now verse 14, I press toward. I press toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We are to reach forward and press toward the goal, the price, the upward call of God in our life. As an athlete or runner presses on and reaches his, and reaches forward you can picture that now right an athlete a runner as he presses on he reaches forward and strains himself he labors he overextends he overworks toward the goal of the prize so should we as believers what is the prize well paul says the prize is a simple call of god the prize is a simple fact that we're able to partner with god in kingdom work he says I press toward the goal of the prize. What's the prize? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is the simple fact that God has called me. Not the benefits nor the outcome of the call, but the fact that we are able to run the race at all. That is the upward call of God. God allows us to partner with Him in kingdom work. The prize and the upward call are that which Christ or that which God has laid, laid hold of us Four, that we would walk in newness of life, that we would partake of Christ's sufferings, to continuously be conformed to the image of Christ. These are the things that we are to be reaching forward to, the things ahead. This is the goal. We are to be pressing toward until attained, the call of God in our life. And this is what Paul is saying, I press on and I reach forward because I have not attained I must walk in newness of life. I must lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of me. Why did he lay hold of me? That I may walk in newness of life. That I may preach the gospel. Right? That I may be conformed to the image and the nature of Jesus. I need to lay hold of these things. I need to reach and strain forward. I need to overextend. I need to labor and toil in light of the present afflictions. In light of the future sufferings. Because I have not attained. Because I'm not perfect. I need to do these things. And this is the encouragement for you and I this evening. This is the exhortation for all believers. And, this, and, and he, re, he reaffirms it in verse 15 and 16. He says, therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. What mind? That we are to press on and reach forward and press toward. Let us have this mind. And in anything, 
And if in anything you think otherwise, you think contrary, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind, Paul says. This is the exhortation for all believers, to be of the same mind, to reach forward and press toward the goal and prize, the upward call of God in your life. Philippians 2.12, right? The chapter prior, dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and with fear. And what does he say there in verse, verse 15? Let as many as are mature have this in mind. Be in agreement with this. Be in agreement with me. That we are to reach forward. That we are to press on. That we are to strain forward. Those that are mature have this in mind, he says. And he says they're not complacent or passive. They have this in mind. They agree. And if they do not understand or think, always confident that God will reveal it to them. That's what he says at the end of verse 15, right? And if anything you think otherwise, God would reveal even this to you, he says. God's going to reveal it to you because this is the will of God for your life. And then what does he say in verse 16? A different version reads it this way. But we must hold on to the progress which we have already made. We need to hold on to the progress we have already made. As we're reaching forward, as we're pressing on, he says, hold on to the progress we have already made. This is a call of unity, to be in agreement amid those who would oppose this idea, right? Those who would welcome conformity and legalism. He says, no, 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 no. Reach forward, press on, press toward what God has for you ahead. Lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of you for. See, some at this time had thought that they had already attained perfection or had already arrived due to their legalistic following of rules. And Paul says, don't be fooled by them. Don't be deceived by them. You press on, you press forward, and you reach toward that which Christ has laid hold of you for. You have to ask yourself this evening, because Paul says, these are the reasons that Christ has laid hold of me for. That I would walk in newness of life. That I would preach the gospel, right? That I would be conformed to the image of His Son. And those apply to me and you as well. But, but why or for what reason has Christ laid hold of you this evening? And are you reaching forward and are you pressing on to lay hold of it? Or are we simply coming to church on a Wednesday or on a Sunday and because of the present afflictions and because of what we foresee, the sufferings that are to come, we can, we can step back, right? We can be passive. But Paul says, no, this is his exhortation to them. This is his encouragement to us this evening. And then what does he say there in verse 17? Through 19. The NIV reads it this way. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag, they brag about shameful things. 
they think about only earthly things. What does Paul uh, tell the believers here at Philippi? Paul acknowledged and he warned about many who walked contrary to what he taught. And he called them enemies of the cross, of Christ. Enemies of the truth of the cross that believers are supposed to carry. The bearing of the cross of self-denial. What does he say there in, verse, in these verses? He says, hey, brothers, pattern your lives after mine and, and learn from those who, have, who follow our example. If we were following the example and we were patterning after Paul's life, then we were to see that even amid all his accomplishments in the flesh, he wasn't self-confident. But what did he do? He pressed on. He reached forward. He pressed toward all that Christ had laid hold of him for. He says, you have my life as a pattern. Follow it. Right? Follow my example. And he says, why? He says, because there's some of these people, and he says, I say it with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ, and they're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think about only earthly things. Paul acknowledged and he warned about many who walked contrary to what he taught. He called them enemies of the cross, right? The cross that me and you are supposed to bear, right? What does Matthew uh, verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, Jesus, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Instead of pressing on to lay hold... Instead of reaching forward to those things ahead, instead of pressing toward the upward call of God, these people take pleasure in themselves. What does he say there? For many walk whom I have told you, and now even weeping that they are the enemies of Christ, whose God is their belly or their pleasure, whose glory is in their shame, and they set their mind on earthly things. So instead of pressing on to lay hold, Instead of reaching forward to the things ahead, and instead of pressing toward the call or the upward call of God in their life, these people take pleasure in self. The root of their priorities and the result of their desires are because they set their mind on earthly things. Where is our mind this evening? Is it set upon earthly things? Or is it set upon the eternal? Is it reaching forward? Is it pressing on in contrast, look what it says in verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait. Here's the third point of tonight. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that he may be conformed to the glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. What is Paul saying in these next two verses? In contrast to these people who have set their mind on earthly things, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we should also eagerly wait for the coming of Christ. These, people, these people's priorities and desires and their appetite for their own belly and their own pleasure is the root because they have set their mind on earthly things. But for me and you, 
gospel for us, the church, Paul says, because your citizenship is in heaven, you should not have your mind on earthly things, but you should eagerly wait for the coming of Christ. Verse 20, in a different uh, translation, reads it this way, but our, citizen, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. In contrast to those who have become enemies of the cross, those who live for the pleasure of themselves, in contrast to those who are not uh, pressing on till they hold, in contrast to those who are not reaching forward to the things ahead, who are not pressing toward the upward call of God, those who take pleasures in self. In contrast to these people, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. See, the former act the way they do because they have set their mind on where they're from. Did you notice that? The former, in the verses prior, 17 through 19, they act the way they do because they set their mind on where they are from. If you find yourself doing and taking pleasure in earthly things, it's because you have set your mind on where you think you are from. You have forgotten that you're not from here. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says. But because mine and, your belief, mine and yours citizenship is in heaven, we are to act contrary to those who have become enemies of the cross and to those who think they have obtained perfection. We, we are to be marked by our heavenly citizenship. We are to be marked by our heavenly citizenship. We are to press on, reach forward. We are to eagerly await. And what does it mean to eagerly wait? Right? Because eagerly wait gives the idea of somebody waiting in a long line to get on a ride, excited, anxious, and then they get to it and they get there and they fulfill their satisfaction and that's it. But what does the Bible say about eagerly waiting? Because to eagerly wait is not a passive and patient stand back and stand by. It's actually the exact opposite of that. To eagerly wait. To eagerly wait means we are to obey God actively, continually, and faithfully. Revelation 2.10, Jesus to the church in, in Smyrna, he says, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is what it means to eagerly wait. Be faithful, be obedient until the end, and I will give you a crown of life. To eagerly wait means we are to continue to fulfill our normal responsibilities. So many people, they overlook fulfilling the normal responsibilities here on earth, because they say, well, I'm just waiting for the return of Christ. Right? So they, they live sloppy. They live lazy. Paul to the Thessalonian believers. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. For even if we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat, Paul says. Some people say, well, I'm just slacking, right? I'm kicking back. Because I'm just waiting for the return of Christ, brother. No, Paul says, no, 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 don't overlook your earthly obligations. To eagerly wait means you still take care of those obligations, right? It's, it, it means that you take care of that, you provide for yourself, your family. We cannot neglect the obligations that we have in life because we say we are eagerly waiting for Christ's return.
Paul to the church in Ephesus regarding the conduct of the church. He says this, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good that he may have something to give to him who has a need. To eagerly wait means, means we are to help those in need. This is our Christian obligation. So, so it means that we are to uh, obey God actively, continually, faithfully. To eagerly wait means we are to continue to fulfill our normal responsibilities. It means that we are to help those in need. And to eagerly wait also means that we are to help others prepare for the coming of Christ. We are to help others get to heaven. It's not just a simple, I'm eagerly waiting, anxious for God to come. I'm waiting for the trumpet. But I'm not doing anything. No. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. We must be ready to defend and share the hope that is in us to a world that is in need of it, who is in need of Jesus. Paul says, be ready. Be ready to share the gospel. Be ready to defend the hope that is in you to a world that needs it. And look at your co-workers and your friends and family and the world around us. They are in need of it. As we eagerly await, this is our Christian obligation. We are to be ready to defend and share the hope that's in us. Look how Paul encourages the Thessalonian church. 1 Thessalonians 1.8 For from you the word of God, or the word of the Lord, has sounded forth, not only to Macedonia and to Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to where God has gone now, so that we do not need to say anything about it. What does it say about the church? Individually and collectively as a church, we are to spread the gospel. We are to strive to spread the word. This is our obligation and our duty as we eagerly wait. It's not passive. It's not patient. It's not standing back and standing by. We are to press on. We are to reach forward. We are to eagerly Await. And Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We, are, we also are to help others get to heaven by encouraging one another. Other believers uh, that are walking with Christ. That's what it says. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort, encourage, rebuke one another, Paul says. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This is what it means to eagerly await. I'm not just waiting, I'm not just passive, I'm reaching forward, I'm pressing on, I'm eagerly awaiting the coming of Jesus because my citizenship is in heaven. We are to help others and encourage others prepare for the coming of Christ. This is what it means to press on, to reach forward, to eagerly wait. This is our responsibility as we wait. Because sometimes we get the idea that we're safe, we're comfortable, and we're waiting on the coming of Christ, and I have no responsibility. Pastor, our son Caleb, my nephew, they weren't able to spend Christmas with us because he was sick. And throughout that time, we're talking, we're FaceTiming him, and 
right? My nephew, and then we saw him here on Sunday, and, and we're telling him, and, you know, we have so many gifts for you at home. When are you coming? Because you weren't able to spend Christmas with us. And he was just excited and FaceTiming every day. Are you bringing the gifts to church? Are you bringing them to the house? No, no, we're waiting till you're better so you can come over. He was anxious. And finally Sunday, his, his anticipation is building and he runs in the house on Sunday afternoon and he starts ripping all the presents open. And I was just reminded because he was eagerly waiting. He waited a week. But in that waiting period, he had no responsibility. Just anxious and anticipating and waiting and it's building. And then he's finally there and then he's satisfied with it. He's able to open all that up. But how different is that? Eagerly waiting for me and you. Because we have a very big, a huge responsibility before God as we read. We are to press on. We are, we are to reach forward. We are to eagerly wait. We have a responsibility as we eagerly wait. And what does it say now in verse 21? We eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able to subdue all things to Himself. A different version translates it this way, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he will transform our lowly body. It will be like his, a glorious body. As we wait for his coming, we, are so, we also are to look forward to our destination. As we lay hold of our responsibilities and obligations, as we eagerly wait, we also are to look forward to our destination since our citizenship is in heaven that should be our expectation it's not just in here it's not just in our local government this is temporary our citizenship is in heaven we are to have that expectation and with our destination we will also be given a new body a glorious one as it says here and we read this verse earlier what does it say in Romans 8 29 for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Think about this. Our destination is not just a place. What do we think about when we think about our destination? It's a place. It's heaven. And it is. But it's not just a place. It's an image. It's an image, a glorious body. We must eagerly wait. We're going to have a glorious body. It's not just a place. It's an image and we must wait with anticipation. A farmer often described his Christian walk this way. He would say, well, I'm not making much progress, but I am well established. And one day as he was hauling some logs in his wagon, his wheels sank into the heavy mud. And as much as he tried to get the wagon out, he could not. Exhausted and defeated, finally, after a few minutes, he sat down on the logs to rest. And after a few minutes, a neighbor saw him who was bothered by this man's stagnant testimony. Right? He would always say, I'm not making much progress, but I am well established in my walk. And the neighbor who saw him resting on the logs, stuck in the mud, he goes up to him and he says, Hi. And he says, Well, brother, 
I see you're not making much progress, but you must be content because you are well established. And Paul says to us this evening, no, don't be content, don't be complacent. In light of, of the present circumstances, in light of the future sufferings, press on, reach forward, eagerly wait. Leonard Ravenhill says this, if you only want to be saved, sanctified and satisfied, the Lord's battle has no need of you. Reach forward, press on, eagerly wait. Do not be content and satisfied with simply being saved and well established. In the days and weeks and months and even the years to come, if the Lord should tarry, we must look to the past for wisdom and ask for strength and courage for the future. Church, press on. Reach forward, eagerly wait for the coming of Christ. Let's go ahead and pray, and we're going to have a time of worship and of prayer this evening. And as we continue to worship, I'm going to invite you to lift up your voice this evening. We have so much to be praying for individually, as a people, as a church, and for our country. And specifically for that this evening, let's pray for our country. Let's pray for our current sitting president, for our president-elect, for the House of Representatives, for the Senate, and what that means or will mean to the Church of God in our country because the days are evil, the day is approaching. What that means for us. Paul said, what? Press on. Reach forward, eagerly, wait. Let's pray. They're going to do a song, and I invite you to pray. And to pray there uh, from where you're seated to even pray out loud. And let's spend a, a few moments in prayer this evening before we are dismissed. Lord, we come before you. We're thankful, Lord, and grateful. Because you have laid hold of us. But Lord, we don't want to be conformed in the fact that you have just laid hold of us, but we want to lay hold of that which you have laid hold of us for. Lord, God, give us the spirit, Lord, of boldness, the courage, so that we would press on, so that we would strain and reach forward, so that we would eagerly wait for the coming of Christ, God. We're thankful, Lord, that our destination is not just a place, it's an image. And you're consistently and constantly conforming us to the image of your Son. We pray, God, that we would desire that. That we would strain towards that. That we would press on, Lord, to fellowship and to share of the nature and the character of Jesus. Being conformed to the image of your Son. We pray for our president and president-elect, our vice president and vice president-elect, Lord, the House, the Senate. We pray, Lord, that as you have laid hold of us, that you would lay hold of them. As we are in need of you, Lord, they are also in need of you, their Lord and Savior, that they would submit to you, that they would give their lives to you. Oh God, we pray for our country. 
the rest of our leaders, Lord. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, with the boldness, with the courage, and the strength that we are to need, Lord, as we wait, as we anticipate, Lord, your return. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.